we're going to look at a wedding feast today. Appropriate preaching for my anniversary. So I wanted to start off by tell you just a little bit about Erica and I. We have a very romantic story. She and I met in mortuary school. It's very, very romantic. We were actually in different classes, so the only place we ever came into contact was the preparation room there. She worked as a lab assistant. So that was where I met her. And over the next couple years, we got to be pretty good friends. We ended up a couple hours away from each other. I was in Columbus, and she was up in northern Ohio. But we would talk on the phone, and we would see each other at different events. And we got to be pretty good friends. And then a couple years later, the National Funeral Directors Convention was in Las Vegas. And I went out there with my grandparents. And Erica was out there. And neither one of us gamble. And so we spent three days going to a convention. And then we would just walk. This, it's a great place to, to people watch. <laughs> we would just walk the streets and look at the the buildings and the lights and people, but we just got to know each other and we got just long, deep conversations and we fell for each other that time we were there. So what started in Vegas didn't end there. And we got home and we started dating and it was interesting. It was maybe two months later, Erica was looking for a job in Columbus. She liked Columbus. She had lived there previously. And another funeral home there was hiring, and we did business with this funeral home, and I knew they went through a lot of funeral directors, so I went to my grandpa, and I said, well, Grandpa, what do you know about, about these guys? Would they be a good, good people to work for? And he looked right at me, he goes, well, why wouldn't she want to work for us? <laughs> Fair enough. So the next time she was down, she brought her resume, and it's a very funny story. I won't go into all the details, but instead of looking at her resume, my grandfather looked right at her and said, what are your intentions for my grandson? <laughs> time went on. We, not much time. We knew almost immediately that we wanted to get married, and soon I flew up to Illinois. I met her dad. I asked her for a hand in marriage. Shortly after that, we got engaged, and eight months later, we were married. Ten months later, somewhere in there. It's a fun, fun thing to look back on now. And as I was looking at this passage today and thinking about it in light of our anniversary, and we had quite a wedding feast. I'll get into some of that more, but good, good memories. Before we jump into our passage, because it has been a while, it's a quick review of where we're at. We're going to be in the beginning of chapter 22 here, but this is a continuation of what was going on in Matthew 21. At the beginning of Matthew 21, we see Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, followed by Jesus going into the temple and cleansing it of the money changers and those who were selling animals. We then see him curse a fig tree, which foretold his impending rejection by the nation of Israel. And then he begins teaching in the temple, and at that point he is confronted by the chief priests and elders saying, by what authority are you doing these things? You 
have ridden into town to shouts of Hosanna and received honor and praise. It was honor and praise that they wanted. You've come into our temple and you've disrupted everything. Now you're teaching on our turf. What authority do you have to do this? So Jesus responds to that with a question. I'll tell you what authority I'm doing this if you tell me what authority John the Baptist had. They refused, so Jesus refused to tell them, but then he proceeds to tell them three parables. We've looked at the first two, the parable of the two sons. One son was asked to work in the field. He said he wouldn't, but then he went and did it anyways. The other said that he would, but he never went. And then the parable of the landowner who entrusted his vineyard to vine dressers and they never gave him the fruit of his land they beat his servants and they killed his son all of these are pointing at Israel's rejection of Jesus and the prophets which brings us to the parable of the wedding feast beginning in Matthew 22 1 and in verses 1 through 6 we see again Jesus reiterating Israel's rejection of himself Beginning in verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. So as Jesus begins this parable, we are introduced to the first two characters, a king and his son who is getting married, and he has prepared a wedding feast for his son. It is interesting, when Eric and I got engaged, the immediate first question was, well, when are we going to get married? And it was sometime in January that I officially proposed. And she said she'd always wanted a fall wedding. We had talked about that previously. And so I said, well, what about this October? She said, well, we can't possibly be ready in 10 months. And so we planned funerals in three days. How much harder could a wedding be? Well, I was... I was dead wrong. But I remember the first thing we did was try to find a venue, and we went all over Columbus to these popular wedding venues for the uh, reception. We had a church, but we were looking for a place for the reception. And, I mean, the prices on some of these were just astronomical. So I got to talking with my grandfather about it, and he had been a member at Brookside Country Club for 50 years. And his father had been a member there before him. And so he said, well, you have to do it at Brookside. And we knew it was probably even more expensive than a lot of the places we looked at. But I assumed, since he was forcing the issue, that he was going to pay for it. No. <laughs> In this parable, the king has taken care of everything. He has prepared a wedding feast for his son. The king here is God the Father, and the Son is Jesus Christ. Jesus is describing a future event here, giving insight into the kingdom to come. Verse 3. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. So here we have the next two characters in this parable. Slaves sent out by the king and guests who were invited to the wedding. 
if I've covered this before, but and you may know, but slavery then was, when we read this slaves, it sort of makes us cringe a little bit, but it was much different in the New Testament times than it is now. Because we saw in the parable of the talents, uh, in that parable, the, the man going away entrusted large sums of money to his slaves. Slaves were often very trusted, very high-placed people in a rich person's organization. And during that time, even jobs that we would think of now as some of the most highly looked-after jobs, such as those who, again, with money banking, or those who were the physicians for a family, often those positions were slaves. So as we see this, these are trusted underlings that he's sending out, saying, go tell the people to come. It's time for the wedding feast. I have prepared it. It is time for them to come. It must be nice to have that done. Again, I think back to our wedding. Because we were spending so much money on some things, we tried to save money other places. And so when we looked at doing the invitations, we found it was like a third the cost if we got these things and we put them together ourselves. So they came in like four pieces and you had all these little sticky tabs you had to pull off and put on the paper, then put another piece on, then more sticky tabs. And, and we sent out hundreds. It took us days to put all those things together. I remember my fingers being raw and all that work you put in. But here the king sends his, his servants out and says, tell them to come. The slaves here are the servants, are the Old Testament prophets that God had sent to the nation of Israel. And those receiving the invitation are the people of Israel, and they are unwilling to come. They have refused the invitation of the king. Verses 4 to 6. Again, he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened livestock are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention, and they went their way, one to his farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. Notice the urgency here in the message he's sending out. The animals have all been butchered. If the guests do not come, it's all going to go to waste. Everything is ready, and yet the guests still refuse to come. I believe that the other slaves here are God's next set of messengers. John the Baptist John the Baptist had a much different message than any Old Testament prophet. Turn back to Matthew 3. Verses 1 through 3. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make its paths straight. No Old Testament prophet had a message that urgent. The kingdom is here. Jesus also taught that same message to his disciples. That urgent message of the kingdom. Matthew 10, 5 to 7. This is as Jesus is getting ready to send his disciples out to minister. It says that these 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of Israel, the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is urgent. This is not prophesying something far off. They're saying, it's here. Your Messiah is here. Like the king in this parable, he's saying, it's all ready. You need to come now. Yet even with this urgent message, those who were invited still refused to come. Some of them ignored the invitation because they were too caught up in their own lives. One went to his farm and another went to his business. I tell you, that's a painful thing when someone rejects your invitation. One of my best friends in the world when I was in high school, we did almost everything together. Played sports together. We went snowboarding together. We surfed together. We did all these things. We had stayed good friends through college. In fact, when I would come home from Virginia, he was one of the only people I, I consistently saw. He was always there, always interested in me and our friendship, and yet I invited him to be a groomsman at my wedding, and the week before our wedding, he called me and said, I, I'm not coming. And that was, that was heartbreaking. And yet the king here, who deserves honor, who is being generous with his invitation, he is rejected in a way that none of us can those that went their own way here can be viewed as the common people of the nation of Israel, and those that killed the servants can be viewed as the religious authorities. To treat the king's servants in such a manner was to assault the king's dignity and to despise his generosity. It dishonored the king's son. John the Baptist and Jesus' disciples would face the same rejection and violent end the Old Testament prophets had. So in these first six verses, in response to having his authority questioned, Jesus again outlines the rejection of Israel, of himself by Israel, the rejection of God's prophets by Israel, the rejection of God's plan by Israel and his kingdom. Jesus is telling them over and over, you don't really want to know where my authority comes from, you have already rejected me. 
they in their hearts had no interest in his authority. They were only interested in their own. In verse 7, we see the king's response. What is God's response to this? But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. The people have insulted the king and his son, and he is enraged. So he sends out his armies to destroy the murderers, the religious leaders, and their city, Jerusalem. Throughout the Old Testament, we see God using the armies of Gentile nations as his armies to discipline the nation of Israel. And God would do that again soon. Turn with me to Daniel the 62 weeks the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and sanctuary and its end will come with the flood even to the end there will be war desolations desolations are determined the nation of Israel the religious leaders in the city of Jerusalem would soon face judgment at the hands of Titus and his Roman legions the just reward for those who had insulted the king's son and rejected his invitation. That is how the king will respond. In verses 8 through 10, we see the inclusion of the Gentiles into the kingdom. The inclusion of the Gentiles. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite them to the wedding feasts. So those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. So those who accepted the invitation, those who believed in Jesus for eternal life, they are pictured as a room full of guests who have arrived for the wedding feast. This is all the believers of the church age. This is us. From the birth of the church in Acts 2 through now until Jesus comes again, all those who believe in him for eternal life are pictured here as guests who have arrived for the wedding. Jesus is telling these religious leaders that because of their rejection, God is going to send the invitation out and that anyone who will come be allowed in. They would take the message to the streets, to the common people of the world. And all those who believed in Jesus would take their place at the wedding feast. As we've looked at over the last few weeks, this rejection of Jesus by Israel, what brings God's wrath upon them does not mean that God will abandon her. God will bring Israel back to himself and he will fulfill his covenants and promises to her. But to these religious leaders, 
that were rejecting Jesus, that they would see their rightful place in the kingdom taken by Gentiles because they had refused the invitation. In verses 11 through 14, Jesus begins to show us what he would later show in more detail, that those who attend the wedding feast need to be prepared. Those who attend the feasts need to be ready. Verse 11. But then the king came in to look over the dinner guests. He saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. It was expected that if you were going to attend a royal banquet, that you would be dressed appropriately. Many years ago, I think it was maybe the first Easter after Eric and I got married, my family invited us to come to Easter brunch with them, and we went to this country club that my uncle was a member of, it's a very highfalutin place. And uh, I wore a suit six days a week. I was always in a suit and tie. And so that morning we got up to get ready to go to church. And I put on a nice pair of jeans and some nice shoes and a nice shirt and a nice sweater. And we went to church and then we went to this country club. And we walked in and they said, you can't come in here. I said, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> it was 2009, I thought we'd gotten to the point where, you know, we were having to dress up for things like this. No one dresses up anymore. Sure enough, they would not let me in. And I lived probably 25 minutes away. And so Eric and I were nearly an hour late for brunch because I had to drive all the way home to put on a pair of slacks and made me think of that time and how embarrassing that was and the wrath of my grandfather that I got to experience for not being prepared. Notice here that there is a tenderness in the king's question. He calls him friend. Friend, why aren't you ready? But the guest is speechless. He has no good excuse for why he's not ready. He is guilty of not making the proper preparations to attend. And since he is not ready, he is bound hand and foot and thrown into the outer darkness. The outer darkness here suggests the darkness of night compared with the brightness of being inside the banquet hall. The man is excluded from the joys associated with the wedding feast, and his regret at being unprepared is depicted in the words, weeping and gnashing of Viewing this in light of Matthew's focus on discipleship, we see that before being evicted, the improperly dressed guest was in the kingdom. He was one of the guests. The king calls him friend. And even when he is evicted from the banquet, he is still in the kingdom, directly outside the banquet hall in the palace. Though his freedom to participate in the festival festivities was taken away. It's 
interesting. There are three New Testament occurrences to outer darkness, and they're all in Matthew. Back in Matthew 8, 12, it said in verse 2 that the, king, the sons of the kingdom will be cast into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Who are the sons of the kingdom? That expression only occurs one other time in Matthew in the parable of the wheat and the tares, where Jesus says that the sons of the kingdom are the wheat, the ones sown by God, and that the tares were sown by the evil one. So if the sons of a kingdom is referenced to believers, Jesus had already foretold back in Matthew 8 that there would be believers who would not be prepared and they would miss out on certain joys. The third reference to outer darkness is in the parable of the talents that we looked at a couple weeks ago. And in that parable, each of the three servants who were evaluated were servants of the master. They had each been given talents or spiritual gifts, and Jesus is judging them on how they have used those gifts in their life. And the one who did nothing with them was not invited to enjoy the banquet. Jesus summarizes this lesson with many are called, but few are chosen. He's not speaking about election to eternal life, but about responding to the call to live obedient lives as we should as believers, to live a life of service to our Lord and obedience to his commands so that we may be found worthy when he returns. So Jesus has his authority questioned by these religious leaders, and while he refused to come right out and say that he was God, he knew the timing. He was still a couple days away from crucifixion needed to take place to fulfill prophecy and so he refuses to come right out and say I'm God I'm sent by God because they probably would have taken him right there but instead he tells these three parables he claims authority and shows them their rejection he is the son of God the son of the king whom they have rejected Again, what we've looked at over the last few weeks, Jesus will elaborate on this further in Matthew 24 and 25. But where he gives more details there, he has claimed authority here, authority to know what is coming because he is God. So I was thinking of the takeaway from this as I read through this passage of Scripture over and over, both in Matthew 21 you see Jesus' triumphal entry and the acceptance of him by the people and yet the rejection of him by the religious leaders who didn't want to give up their way of life to trust in God's plan. It's so sad. The hardness of their hearts to have the Son of God right in front of them and yet to utterly reject him. What a tragedy it is and as we've Looked at through communion this morning. I mean, this is good news that we have. And as we see their reaction, we should thank God for our salvation and it should put a burden on us to tell other people. Don't let other people walk down this road of rejecting God because they want to live the life they want to live. Tell them that this is good news. This is 
better news than anything you could ever hope for. Share it. And in doing so, we'll be using the gifts. We'll be being obedient to God. And we will be ready for his return. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this passage. As we're looking at these scriptures as Jesus is nearing the end of his life, we thank you for his ministry, the example he is to us, the hope that he gives us. Lord, I pray you be with us each this week. In Jesus' name we pray.